0: Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. All right. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Church and Culture Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we are so glad to have you tuning in. Um, I'm Alexis, and today and every week, I'm joined by Dr. James Emery White um, to discuss the intersection of contemporary culture and the Christian church. So, oh, and just as a heads up, if you ever wanted to watch the video footage of this podcast, I don't know if you know that that's an option, but you can certainly do that. If you head over to churchandculture.org, you can find the link there, or you can just search for the Church and Culture podcast on YouTube, um, and it'll pull up the video of this podcast as well. Okay, for today's topic, if you were a Christian in the 90s, you probably know what I'm referring to when I say purity culture. This was a movement that was characterized by girls pledging to abstain from sex until marriage or wearing purity rings and dressing modestly and the list goes on. Um, It was certainly, I would say a Christian reaction to the type of increased sexuality of contemporary culture well-intentioned in a lot of ways, trying to protect um, girls, especially from sexual sin, elevate the institution of marriage. But there was certainly a dark side um, of this movement, Um, some misinformed theology, unintentional side effects. We'll get to that stuff in just a moment. But for today's conversation, um, we wanna look at the youth of today to examine what are they learning about sexuality? How are girls and boys discovering their identity outside of traditional institutions like marriage? And how might the church be able to move beyond purity culture, you know, to a different chapter when discussing sexuality and marriage and and the like? So, all right, Jim, you ready to dive in? (laughs) I think so okay well let's start out by talking about you know the purity culture movement that did peak in the 90s what was happening specifically in culture of that in that decade to really motivate the church to respond in this way
1: there were two things that were happening uh during that time one was there was in from a christian perspective a real outbreak of um sexual immorality and sexual permissiveness and there was a um it was just the era of, of the supermodel and that sex sells. And so you had this, uh, this sexual saturation of culture that really broke out in a way that was alarming to a lot of Christians in the 90s. Um, second, you had an emphasis on women with that sexuality. I mentioned the era of the supermodel, but what I really am going after with this is that there was an emphasis on women being the provocateurs, women being the ones that were to blame, for lack of a better uh Uh, Think of the two big scandals that happened during the the 90s. You had Anita Hill in 1992 with the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings, and then you also had Monica Lewinsky in 1998. Both of those women, uh, the media were very unkind to them, and really put a lot of stuff onto them as the ones and regardless of what you think about who was right and who was wrong with Anita Hill or who was telling the truth, with Monica Lewinsky, we know much more about what the facts actually were. And uh, But the, the media were very unkind uh, to them. And there was a, just an emphasis on women when it came to things like that. It was a woman's fault in essence. So transfer that to the purity culture. And you mentioned the purity rings and the true love waits pledge and the purity balls and such. The the The, 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 the hidden theology that was being said was if you remain sexually pure, if you remain a virgin, and you know wait for marriage, you'll get that husband, you'll have that happy home, you'll have the 3.4 kids, you'll have the life you want. God will then bless. He'll show up, and you'll be happy. And um, and it's all about the woman, though, to make it to marriage as a virgin. It really wasn't a lot of, of emphasis on the on the man it was on the girl, like, this is all on you, the life you want, the life God blesses, it's all about you being a virgin, virgin is everything, Mm -hmm. and so that became the purity culture, and of course, even as I describe it, you're probably thinking, well, a lot of that's a little toxic, and the answer is yes, it is.
0: Yeah, I can think, even in my own experience, I um, wasn't a Christian in the 90s, but I could see the lingering effects of this even into the early you know, 2000s when I was in college, um, a new Christian at the time. I remember, you know, just I, I was a part of a prominent college Christian organization at the university I went to, and just dreading the women's retreats where essentially women were just sat down and lectured on how we need to be responsible for protecting our Christian brothers through the way that we dress and to do everything possible to eliminate. Temptation for them because they are such visual creatures. So wearing a bathing suit was like the new, or wearing a two-piece bathing suit was like the new sin, or tank tops that weren't wide enough, and kind of this whole, this whole thing. um And so I'm, I'm trying to think about that, like um in terms of purity culture, that we certainly tend to talk about women and kind of how they experience. But I often wonder too if. If there's a connection between this whole theology of like men or visual creatures with, with this connection with like increased rates of a topic that you do not shy away from at Mac, certainly, but the topic of pornography, do you feel like those might be linked at all?
1: We're going to talk about pornography, I think a lot throughout this podcast, because it comes up uh, as a really uh, relevant issue for many of the dynamics that, that I'm sure you're going to be leading us toward. But for now, let me just say that um, uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is terribly toxic when we make uh, women responsible for a man's lust. And it, I've even heard it gone so far as to say, well, she got raped because she dressed that way and almost like that, she asked for it uh, or he can't be held responsible. If you're gonna dress like that, you should expect this. And it's just, it's just, it's just shameful. And, and the way women have been also objectified through porn. And I think that's another dynamic of this. That um that uh, men have objectified women uh, to uh, 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 a very high degree.
0: do you feel like the the holes are being poked in this now because uh, more so now, probably than before, because the people who grew up hearing this theology are now parents, and like we're, we're we're now seeing, hey, wait. I did stay, you know, I, I, I did do everything the purity culture movement asked me to, and I'm not married or marriage is not the, the, what I thought it was going to be. Or guys are thinking I, you know, waited and now, you know, sex and marriage is not all that it was promised to be. Is, is, is that why I guess the theology is being questioned now?
1: I think there's a lot of reasons why it's being questioned now. I think what you just said was uh, quite accurate um, that I did everything right. I checked all the boxes and either I don't have the husband and, or I don't have the kids or I have a bad marriage or it ended in divorce. And, and, or on the other side of it is, um, the people who did not, uh, maintain their purity contract and, um, felt just enormous guilt and shame. And, and like they, they, uh, uh, they have a, a, a very bad self-esteem and, and, a, and, a uh, a, a, challenged relationship with God and with men and, and sex in general. And, and so they were kind of set up that this was almost the un, unforgivable sin.
0: Hmm. So, well, now you have, you know, the people who are dealing with these unfulfilled promises essentially, and now we're moms and dads, right? And so we've got our own kids and we're thinking, okay, purity culture, that theology, like that's not what we want for them. But then we have a society where our kids now have a whole different perception of sexuality than we did um, when we were their kids. So what are the youth of today? What What is the message that they are hearing about sexuality and marriage and where are they hearing it from?
1: Yeah, They're bombarded by culture with this, um, not just acceptance of of any and all aspects of sexual um, identity and expression, but affirmation as well. And what that has created is, and I wrote about this in, in my book on Generation Z, is that one of the marks of Generation Z is sexual fluidity. In other words, they're sexually amorphous. They don't want labels. Don't call me heterosexual or homosexual or or don't call me male don't call me female I mean it's it's but we'll keep it on sexual expression they don't want labels and there's almost a sense of I want to do whatever I want to do express myself be with be sexual with whoever I want at any given moment because one of the highest values they have is individual freedom and so as a result you uh when you have high school students who almost feel an obligation, almost like like I can't determine what I am until I have tried, for example, um, a homoerotic act. And it's almost like it's expected. I need to do that. If I don't do that, I'm not being true to myself. And so there is this purposeful sense of needing to experiment and try a wide range of sexual um, activities. Um, And so I, I think that you have um, sexual fluid fluidity, and you have the value of individual freedom. And, um, and also I think that there is finally, um, how pornography has changed things and how pornography has changed things is expectations. So now it's, it's almost like, so that's what sex is when people say, where are they getting this? The average person is learning all about sex through porn, the average teenager, for example. And so, so that's what is involved um, you know, those kinds of ways. That's how I treat a woman. They want it to be rough or they want to be choked or they want this or they want that. And, and, and it's, um, so all of these things are forming the sexual world of say generation Z.
0: Now, I'm curious because when, you know, kids who are going through the purity culture, they had, you know, the message from contemporary culture of like, oh yeah, you know, d- do whatever, experiment, all of this. We had that as kids, but then we did have the purity culture movement to be like, but there is another way. But with the absence of the purity culture movement, do you feel like Christian youth are just as susceptible to these type of, like the the, the type of um, fluid sexuality that you just described? Oh yes,
1: oh yes, oh yes. Um, and I think that- um- and 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 that's one of the things where it, it I know that for a lot of Christian parents they're 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 frustrated as to know what to to do because maybe they got burned or felt now they look back on the purity culture and say well that 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 didn't help me the way I I I needed help um, uh, but they still believe that sex before marriage or outside of marriage is not God's plan A. But at the same time, they 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 don't know how to go to their child and say in a non-purity culture way that um, that hey, this is this is not the way to handle sex, and so they kind of uh, not quite sure how to get their footing or regain their voice. But then culture has this huge voice into those kids, and they're listening.
0: Well, and what's really interesting, I think, a very unforeseen um, statistic right now is that kids are actually having sex less than they were in the 90s so what the heck is going on there
1: that's interesting um uh, there are three reasons why that are commonly looked to um in terms of uh the social sciences and just observation culture culturally one is uh among the younger generations millennials and gen z there's delayed adulthood they're 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 not moving out of their parents' house as early as they used to. They're not getting jobs like they used to. They may not have a car. And so when you're, um, you have this delayed adulthood, well, when you're living with your parents' house and you don't have a car, it's gonna be hard to date or get out or have the privacy, quite frankly, to be sexually intimate with someone. I mean, your bedroom is next door to mom and dad's. And I'm not even trying to be funny. I mean, it, it is, this is a real thing with delayed adulthood in terms of just the housing situation. Another reason is, um, is uh, social media and time on social media, that it has become a substitute for relationships and streaming services and time on social media. When the average person is uh, of that age is spending up to nine hours on some type of consumable media content, um, that's omitting opportunities and even interest in sex. In other words, two people will be together instead of having sex or binging on Netflix and then, or their social media is consuming them. A third reason that has been looked to is that um, they are having sex, it's just online. Mm. Uh, they're doing it through pornography, they're doing it through masturbation. And so, um, and they've given themselves over to that to that world and the, the, the statistics on porn usage is stunning. Um, just, you, you can just Google uh, how many people are watching porn and the, the responses are just, it's unbelievable what the statistics are. And so, um, They are having sex or just having it through pornography as opposed to a a person.
0: That's so eye-opening to hear as a parent because I think a lot of listeners could could kind of misinterpret the situation that they see their youth um, engaging in every day, and think, I, "I've never even seen my son, you know, bring a, a girl over. Like he's just not dating anybody. Like I, I don't need to have the sex talk, or we don't need to talk about purity. Like I've never even seen him around girls." But you're saying, like, "Oh no, there's, there's a whole. It's not that they're, they're not engaged in kind of sexual conversations or, or the like. It's just not. It's just online mostly, is what you're
1: saying." Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that we can overstate the ubiquitous nature and exposure of pornography to, this, uh, to younger generations. And, th- and from a cultural standpoint, this is fascinating and terrifying. Fascinating in that we have this new cultural phenomenon and just f- purely from a social sciences perspective it is fascinating because it's something that's never been really introduced into society before and into human uh, lifestyles. Um, there's always been pornography, but not, not like this, so graphic and so um, available and so widely viewed. But also, um, the terrifying thing is, we don't know what it's going to do. We, we don't know what the long-term results are. We, we do know that it's hurting relationships it's hurting intimacy people don't know how to talk with each other it's creating warped views of what sexual intimacy and expression should be we know it's creating a desensitization so that if you're heavily into porn it actually in a marriage it heavily affects the sexual intimacy and and desire that you have there we know some of that stuff but we don't know a lot of other things but we do know the the objectification of of particularly women although 30 percent of all porn viewers are women the objectification of the opposite sex is um, is acute, as well as increasing degrees of violence, um, and we also know that the more you watch it, the more you have to watch ever increasing degrees of pornography to be stimulated. So all of this is is quite frightening.
0: Well, and it's also very uncharted territory for parents kind of thinking about how am I supposed to talk to my kids about this? Like the same conversation that my parents, if they even had a conversation with me about this is certainly not going to be relevant to my kids now. Like it really puts parents like on the hot seat of, you got to come up with a new strategy because, you know, you can't just have the typical birds and bees conversation anymore. Not when kids are engaging in in a whole different reality online. Yeah. (sighs)
1: Yeah, and I don't envy parents having to have that conversation. I mean, I did have to have conversations with my sons, particularly as I think all fathers should and had, um, uh, because it was just coming onto the scene and and, and, and had good, good conversations and had seasons where we shared accountability software with each other and, um, and uh, during their um, uh, high school and college years, for example. And so it, it is a new day of what parents need to do, the conversations they need to have.
0: Now, one silver lining, I think, of the purity culture movement was that it did have a very high f- high view of marriage, um, maybe with a little bit of false promises um, um, along with that. But it did elevate the institution of marriage as something that's godly, biblical, good, desirable. But that, again, seems like an irrelevant, uh, you know, concept nowadays, because less people are getting married. You know, marriage doesn't ha- people are looking back at, you know, generations of their family members having been divorced and thinking, what's the big deal? I think I'd be happier and it'll be less complicated if I didn't get married. So how do you think the church needs to, or could really um, redeem a biblical vision of marriage without falling into the same traps of the purity culture movement with false theology?
1: Two things need to be recaptured and put forward, Um, biblically, theologically, in terms of our discipleship and and teaching um, in the church. One is we need a holistic theology of sex. You know, it used to just be, don't. <laughs> no, it's bad. Be pure. What, um, as opposed to a holistic view, which is, you know, sex is amazing. Se- sex is wonderful. God created it. God, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but God created both sexual attraction and orgasms. and all, This was all him. And it was a gift. And it was meant to be shared within the intimacy of a relationship in the context of a marriage and also, obviously, for procreation. Um, They have a holistic view of sex, that it's good, it's beautiful, it's God made, and take the shame off of it all. And the human body is good, and it's normal to be attracted, and all of these different kinds of things. So a holistic view of sex, it's not just guilt and shame. Um, But then also lift up, secondly, a sacramental view of marriage really lifting up the sacrament of marriage um and and viewing it again in a wider theological context because you have it for example in ephesians 5 you have it being lifted up as the vision of christ and the church and you also in revelation 19 the great wedding and and the, and so you uh, you have these wonderful views of marriage being used theologically to symbolize our relationship with christ and christ and the church and so and also his love for us and so physical marriage human marriage is a foretaste of that and is a minor reflection of that of the intimacy that we are to have spiritually with with Christ and so put it in its sacramental context and lift up marriage as this wonderful beautiful thing and sex as this wonderful beautiful thing but sex is so wonderful and precious and powerful that it needs the protection of commitment in a relationship for it to be stewarded properly and enjoyed fully, and and for it to to reach its 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 uh, the vision of what God intended for it. So those two things: a holistic view of sex and a sacramental view of, of marriage. And I think a third thing would be really healthy, um, is lift up singleness as as something that's quite legitimate, and marriage isn't everything for everybody. And uh, God can call people to single. The apostle Paul famously said, it's best if you are, because then you don't have the burdens of these things. Obviously, Jesus was never married. And so we need to lift up the virtue of singleness and not make marriage the ultimate fulfillment of a human identity or even your place in community.
0: Now, when you with what you just described, are you imagining that this is the type of um, vision that the church needs to be putting forth or parents putting yes. forth? Yes. Okay. Well, because I, I just wonder, you know, with there's so many of, you know, my peers or or people who are trying to raise children, they're also dealing with their own reality of broken relationships and divorce. And so to feel like you can talk about this in the context of your own kind of broken relationships seems seems difficult, you know, to have that kind of conversation with your child. How do you it, it, yes. yeah, and, and
1: you need to do it at age appropriate stages and when they have the maturity to handle things? But I think there also can be something that is passed on to a child if for example, there is uh, something such as divorce or when there has been adultery that has led to something or whatever, where there can be an, an authentic sense where, you know what, um, you need to know this, I'm not proud of this, or this was done to our family by you know, this spouse, you know, where you can talk about it in a way where it becomes a teaching thing, because it's, you don't always have to teach from a position of success. You don't always model from a, a position of success. In fact, some would argue that it's the most authentic ways that you teach and can share from are from brokenness and where there has been grace that has been met with that brokenness and there has been redemption and there's been forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and all these different kinds of things. And so I, I think that parents who didn't do it right don't shouldn't feel awkward about sharing. They don't have to share all their stuff, but they don't have to feel awkward about putting forward a vision for life that maybe they stumbled with so um yeah
0: yeah okay so well that's the kind of marriage component of the purity culture kind of theology but let's like reimagine because this is where parents are really like i just i don't what's the what's the alternative what's the third way what's the 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 alternative to the purity culture and then the fluid sexual contemporary culture? Like, how do I cast a new type of vision? And so if you, if we were to kind of reimagine the typical, you know, youth group or college retreat where we're separating the guys and the girls, what, what would we want to say to those different groups now?
1: Yeah, I would, I would very much give a holistic view of sex. Uh, And I would, I think that we would need to say things like, Hey, only you Are responsible for your lust and what you do with it. Um, uh, lust is, I mean, you know, sexual arousal is natural, but it's your deal. Don't blame a girl. Don't blame a guy. Um, and just, uh, so don't, don't play the blame game, teach respect and honor, uh, in terms of just the opposite sex, particularly, you know, obviously men toward women teaching them respect and honor. Um, and, um, I do think that, uh, one of the things that is real big in our culture right now that I don't know that anyone ever heard growing up in the church was the word consent. Mm -hmm. And even though that's not enough, you know, in terms of a Christian perspective, just consent, there's more to it than that. But even some of those rudimentary things, like, Hey, if the girl doesn't want you to kiss her, she says, no, no means no. Mm You know, you don't. um, And also um, uh, there needs to be the, 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 uh talk about the the positives of sex so it's not always bad 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 and no 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 and guilt 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 um and uh but also teaching that sex is more than just skin on skin it it is a sacred thing it's a sacramental thing it's and that's and teach about why it belongs in marriage not just it belongs in marriage so if you have sex before marriage you're doomed it's just Talk about why that the you know what is sex where does it belong why in marriage give that holistic theology so someone's going huh huh okay so I'm putting this into a a bigger picture I've got a larger story than just um, puberty hormones arousal pornography and then sexual release of some kind no I'm seeing this bigger vision. Of how it plays into my spiritual life and eternity and God's dream for me, and then at the very end of it all, um, teach on grace that there is forgiveness and 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 not in a way that it all creates permissiveness or or, or you know Paul uh, let me just sin so grace may abound kind of thing no but just have people know that um, all sin is forgivable there's grace for everything. Um, failure is not or you know messing up or, or not holding on to your own virtues or what god would have it's not the end of your life the end of your relationship the end of your world the end of future marriage we we'll talk about grace and forgiveness restoration and how with god we're just clean as freshly fallen snow mm-hmm. and and we we do enter in we do enter our marriages virgins mm-hmm. and you know and that's the beauty of of grace
0: I love that. Now, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, I, if anything, like I realize how much I really need to partner with my church as a parent to be able to, to have this kind of robust theology, to be able to be equipped to have these conversations. And so I thought maybe to close, because I know a lot of people listening are listening to this podcast as ministry leaders, or they've got positions, they volunteer at a church. What advice would you give to those on you know the church side of this as to how they might, Partner with parents to be able to work together to cast exactly the vision that you just described.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that we do at Mac is that I know that our middle school and high school uh, leaders regularly have series dealing with various issues related to sex. They involve the parents with that. They let the parents know in advance they're doing it, so the parent has a certain comfort level with they want their child there or not. Going over content, inviting the parent, you know, whatever needs to happen. And, um, and letting that stimulate conversations so that the parent knows what's being talked about there. Um, and, uh, and then of course, breaking into small groups with small group leaders who are helping you know, kids process this stuff. So I think that you just need to make it legal to talk about. We have regular series on sexual issues uh, as a church and I've had so many uh, parents shoot me emails just saying, you know I had my middle school, obviously we only have children's ministry birth through fifth grade and so middle school up or in services. And they'll say we just had the best conversation with our child on the way home and or over lunch in other words what I said broke the ice for them to have a conversation or for the child to ask a question or for the parent to say hey is that has that been your experience with school is that what's going on there or whatever or, or um and uh, or maybe I, I'm sharing something like that uh, like I mentioned earlier accountability software with my sons and uh, you know if I' would say you know that could be something that could be really cool. Do you think you and I would enjoy doing that together or something? In other words, we kind of de-weird it, normalize it, put it into the system. And that's, that's the beauty of the church. The church is a partner with the family. And we're, we're giving resources. We're, we're bringing teaching. We're, we're, we have an outsized influence in terms of the amount of time spent. Because the time, and I, I think this is just a God thing, it just has a potency to it. And so, uh, but it does, it, it's the home. Mm -hmm. you know, and and so we don't want to drop off parent with the church. Uh, The church is a partner, but a powerful one in bringing this into the home, initiating conversations, helping parents know how to talk. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. we even have parenting seminars on how to talk to your kids about these issues that Mm -hmm. parents can go to, to secretly get kind of girded up for this. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's a lot that the churches can do.
0: Well, this has been a really hopeful conversation, at least I I know for me as a parent, and I hope for um, any of our other listeners who are parents or involved in ministry, just really highlighting the beauty of a new way forward. And then just the way that nobody is alone, kind of Christians are not alone as we navigate these uncharted waters that we can do this together in a really winsome and hopefully God honoring way. But that is all the time that we have for today. So as always, thank you for joining us and we hope to um, have you tune in again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.